Let's pray as we come to the word. Father, just pray that uh, my words will be your words this morning. Give us ears to hear and hearts to understand. In Jesus' name. Amen. Um, originally, I, I kind of was given a, um, uh, a word to speak on apathy in the Christian faith, but honestly, I couldn't be bothered. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not doing that today. Um, no, seriously, the, the, God has really been pushing me this week um, very, very clearly. It's, it's, sometimes, you know, I struggle about preaching and you think, what, what am I going to preach on? But this week, or in fact, it was a couple of weeks ago, because was, I was thinking about this before I went uh, away. Um, God was really pushing me to kind of the dusty bit of the Bible in Ezekiel. Um, and, and he kept bringing this back um, to me. And, and, and so it was very clear what I had to, to preach on. And I, I was reminded, first of all, of when I was eight years old and my parents took me to Latouquet, um, in France and the beach and it was a, a, a summer's day but there was it was quite um, strong winds and there were there were huge waves and um, I just remember going into the water um, one minute and the next minute I was literally kind of being tossed around underneath the water by this enormous wave and I honestly didn't know what hit me it, was, it, it really terrified me um, because it, I was completely out of control. I had absolutely no control over anything. And it kind of then spat me up onto the beach um, and in a, in a sort of, you know, half-drowned heap. Um, and and that, that experience has stayed with me. Um, we'll, we'll talk about that later. And, and I think sometimes God, God says to us, you know, are we, are we a bit tired? Do we feel like we're in a bit of a rut sometimes? Are we a bit sort of worn out coming to church each week? I don't know how you've come today. Um, you know, most, some of us have been uh, doing messy church yesterday and we're a bit knackered. Um, but we're, we're sort of in a time of transition in this, this fellowship. We, we, we've just, you know, had a minister move on and we're thinking about what, what our direction is and what our vision is. And sometimes I feel a bit kind of tired. I feel a bit inadequate, like I'm not really giving enough of myself to the fellowship. Um, and, and that's that's how I sort of went into to this time of thinking about what to preach about. And, and God God did meet with me and, and, and he gave me the, the scripture um, in Ezekiel to hold on to. And uh, I want to share that with you. And, and the scripture that he gave me was Ezekiel 37, verse 14. Uh, which says, I will put my spirit into you and you will live. Um, and God, God really has pointed me to, to this whole book of Ezekiel and what's it got to say to us today? What, what's God saying to us as a fellowship uh, and as individuals? And for, first of all, it's a message of hope, a vision of renewal, of restoration, of, of new promise. And that's exciting, a message of new relationships with our creator God and with each other. Even Ezekiel, the name Ezekiel means God strengthens. But it, but it also requires us to act as well. 
to respond to this promise, not just to receive it passively, I, I believe. So I want to look at Ezekiel in broad brushstrokes. So we're going to kind of do a, a dive into Ezekiel um, and then dip into specifically bits where I think God is, is directing us uh, into his word. So Ezekiel was a captive in, in, in Babylon. He was carried away by uh, Nebuchadnezzar when Judah was taken captive, and that's described in, in Jeremiah's prophecy. And Ezekiel and Daniel were, were both prophets uh, in, in this time. Ezekiel was a bit older, uh, and he preached for the sort of first 25 years or so of the uh, 70 years that the Jews were in captivity. And the story starts with God like Genesis, in the beginning, God. Ezekiel starts with a, a mystic vision from God. He had a very, very clear call. He saw God's vision clearly through his whole life as well, um, which is an example to us all. So if we, if we just look in, in the first part of, uh, of Ezekiel 1, if you want to follow along, we'll just read the first bit here. Ezekiel's vision. In my 30th year, in the fourth month on the fifth day, while I was among the exiles by the Kibar River, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. On the fifth of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiakim, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, the priest, the son of Buzi, by the Kibar River in the land of the Babylonians. There the hand of the Lord was on him. I looked and I saw a windstorm coming out of the north, an immense cloud with flashing lightning and surrounded by brilliant light. The centre of the fire looked like glowing metal, and in the fire was what looked like four living creatures. In appearance, their form was human, but each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight, their feet were like those of a calf and gleamed like burning, burnished bronze. Under their wings, on their four sides, they had human hands. All four of them had faces and wings, and the wings of one touched the wings of another. Each one went straight ahead. They did not turn as they moved. Their faces looked like this. Each of the four had the face of a human being. On the right side, each had the face of a lion. On the left, the face of an ox. Also had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. They had each two wings spreading out upwards, each wing touched that of the creature on either side and each had two other wings covering its body i mean what a vision if i saw that i think i'd be a bit worried um but we know it came from god and this is how god spoke to ezekiel and the revelation of god was revealed in power and, and majesty and and these four faces were significant um the face of a lion um the sovereignty, the, the, the king of beasts, to, to symbolize God's supremacy. The, the face of man, of humans, to uh, symbolize intelligence and understanding. The face of an ox, to symbolize sacrifice and servitude. And then finally, the face of the eagle on each creature, the, the face of, uh, to symbolize power uh, and deity soaring over all of creation like an eagle and, and interestingly enough 
I'm glad you're finding it interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Interestingly enough, the four Gospels uh, represent uh, the same qualities in Jesus, those same qualities. There's a, a parallel from those four qualities that were in the faces of those creatures in Ezekiel's revelation to the four Gospels. So we have Matthew uh, representing Jesus the king, Mark, Jesus the servant, Luke, Jesus, the, the man with his understanding of life, and John, Jesus as God in the beginning was the word um, in, in John's gospel. So there's just an interesting uh, tie up there between the, the Old Testament teachings and the New Testament teachings. But when Ezekiel saw his vision, he was looking at the glory of God in the face of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, make his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So we can be sure that Ezekiel was tuned into God. And I think that's our first lesson here. We need to be tuned in to God. We need to be ready to see his revelation, to see his face, in his glory in the face of God. His call was really graphic, wasn't it? Um, Ezekiel 3, if you just look at um, the first part of uh, chapter 3, he said to me, son of man, eat what is before you. Eat this scroll and then go and speak to the people of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me the scroll to eat. So this is a literal eating of God's word, the very word of God being taken into to, to his, uh, his body, but then giving it out again. There's a, a real parallel. Those words are, are echoed in, in Revelation in, in, in chapter 10 and verse 9 and 10. Those same words, eat the scroll, take God's word in. And I think that's important for us too. I think, I think God is saying, that in order to hear God and to, to, to hear his revelation, we need to be grounded in the word of God. And we need to take that word of God in, literally, um, wrapped up in God's word. Um, not suggesting we chew our Bibles, so, um, but maybe that is something we could do. I don't know. But it's, it's, it's being wrapped up in God's word all the time. And is that, is that something that, that we can commit to? There's another link with the New Testament in this. Ezekiel has visions and, and prophecies about men's failure, if you read on, as, as he watches. So the, the glory of God leaves the temple in Jerusalem in Ezekiel's time. Uh, it moved from the inner to the outer court, and then it, it rose to the Mount of Olives and, and rose up from there and, and left the temple. And that was, that was a really symbolic thing for the, for the Jews, to have the spirit of God leaving their holy place. And, and that prophecy was, was fulfilled in, in Jesus as well. When he moved out of the temple, across the Kidron, Kidron Valley, onto the Mount of Olives, to Gethsemane, where he was crucified. And then the, after the resurrection, he ascended from that same mountain. There's that parallel there of, of, of what? Ezekiel experienced to what we know happened when Jesus 
was, was crucified and rose again. And so the prophecies deal with man rejecting God, turning his back on him, falling into degradation and pity. And, and we see how God judges people and the consequences of that judgment. They are captivity and division, war and death, Israel and Judah being separated, all of those things. That was what was happening historically when Ezekiel was around. And then we have chapter 37, the healing of the nations and the reconciliation. God putting his spirit back into the people. The valley of the dry bones. And this is the sort of familiar part of, of Ezekiel for most of us. What makes a difference to the pile of dead, lifeless bones? It's the breath of God, the ruach. In, um, in Hebrew. And this is just summed up so nicely in, in, in the hymn um, from Edwin Hatch. Uh, it's it's a, a classic good old Baptist hymn, and you'll, you'll all know this one. It's number 592 in the Baptist hymn book. Breathe on me, breath of God, fill me with life anew, that I may love you as, as you have loved and do what you would do. Breathe on me, breath of God, until my heart is pure until my will is one with yours to do and to endure. Breathe on me, breath of God, fulfill my heart's desire until this earthly part of me glows with your heavenly fire. Breathe on me, breath of God, so shall I never die, but live with you the perfect life of your eternity. And so the consequences of God's spirit living in us are healing, are renewal, energy, victory. Let's just read from Ezekiel 37. <clears throat> no, we've gone to Ezra now. Into thee. Sorry. Do you want the Bible? <coughs> no. My technology is, is, is never let me down yet. Here we go. Um, let, let's read from um, Ezekiel 37 and verse 15. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, take a stick of wood and write on it, belonging to Judah and the Israelites associated with him. Then take another stick of wood and write on it, belonging to Joseph, that is to Ephraim, and all the Israelites associated with him. Join them together into one stick so that they will come one, become one in your hand. That's a symbolic joining of the divided tribes. Um, if you read on then from 27 and 28. My dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God. They will be my people. Then the nations will know that I, the Lord, make Israel holy when my sanctuary is among them forever. So we know that when God puts his spirit into us, we're going to be united. We're going to be energized. We're going to be revived. 
all of that kind of inadequacy that we feel sometimes is going to be taken away. Chapter 38 and 39 deal with uh, a prophecy about a last attack on Israel when God will defeat the enemy upon the, the, mountain, the mountains of Israel. Victory is ensured. And chapter 40 <coughs> deals with the prophecy of the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. Hugely significant for the people in captivity because they've just seen it torn down in the capture. The glory of God returns to the temple, to the Holy of Holies in Ezekiel 43. So we can read Ezekiel on at least three levels, probably many, many more. It, we can read it as a literal prophecy about Israel. Uh, we can read it as a prophecy about our fellowship, which I think is where, where God is taking us here, and about our spiritual renewal in our individual lives, which is irrevocably linked to the, did I say that right? Irrevocably linked to, to the second thing about our fellowship. So there's a picture of God breathing new life into tired, weary, or dried up people who perhaps not listened to, to God as, as well as we, we could have done. It's assuring us of reconciliation. It's assuring us of victory in our future work, destroying our enemies, restoring our temple. Does that mean restoring our church here? Yes, but it's also the temple in, in mankind ourselves. We are the temple of the living God, 2 Corinthians 6.16. Our God needs to return in glory to our temple. And then we can have a life full of his, his resources and gifts. And then there's a final prophecy and a picture in chapter 47. So let's just read chapter 47 of Ezekiel. First few verses. The man brought me back to the entrance of the temple. So this is the temple having been rebuilt. He saw water coming out from the, I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple towards the east, where the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east and the water was trickling down from the south side. <clears throat> As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand cubits, but now it was a river that I couldn't cross because the water had risen was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. He asked me, son of man, do you see this? He led me back to the bank of a river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on either side of the river. He said to me, this water flows towards the eastern region and goes down to the Araba, where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand among the shore, 
From Engedi to Engelaim, there will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit, because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. What amazing prophecy that picture that is of God bringing new life through his people, through his temple, through, and remember that that, that refers partly to the temple in us, God dwelling in us and flowing out from us in that river. It's echoed by Jesus's words, of course. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Out of his heart shall flow streams of living water. Now, he said this about the spirit who those who believed in him were to receive. So those words from John 7, uh, verse 37 to 39. Do we thirst for the spirit of God? We should. The source of the river is the throne of God from his supremacy, from his authority, which is why we need to have, we need to be rooted in that, that authority from God's word. We need to be eating that, those scrolls of God's word so that, so that our authority is based on God's authority. It flows past the altar, the place of sacrifice, through Jesus's uh, merciful sacrifice, we can receive the spirit of God. The river becomes powerful, mighty, full of life, pours life, uh, provides life on its banks and surroundings. And so we, when we drink, are full of life and overflow God's grace to those around us and God's power to those who we meet. But it's a step-by-step progression. You look in verse 3 to 6 of Chapter 47, God is leading us. God led me through ankle-deep water, where we can still walk in our own way, but feel God's power. He then leads us through knee-deep water when we're ready for that. It's harder to walk now. We're we're, we're, We're not able to walk so much on our own. We need God's guidance more. We get knocked off our feet by God's power occasionally. And then we're in waist deep water and God has really got a hold of us. Zechariah 4 verse 6, not by might or might by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. God has a hold of us. And then we're over our heads in this river of God's grace, committed to God utterly, swept along in the current of God's grace and his mercy. And that's where I came into this, because it reminded me of just being completely swept off my feet by that French wave all those years ago and not being in control. But the thing here is we we are not helpless and out of control because God is the one in control here. That's the difference. So in God's river pouring out from our lives, We are committed to God utterly, but he's in control. So I think Ezekiel 
is saying to us that we want to be in God's river over our heads. <clears throat> I want to live in power. I want his church to live in power. So are you willing to jump in that river with me and get totally immersed? To get a bit out of control, but know that God is in control? Let's ground ourselves in God's word. Let's really take hold of God's vision. And then let's just jump into that river together. Amen. Amen.